God's going to give you a stand with me as we read this passage of scripture this morning. Again, I'll be focusing on, uh, on the, the second half of, uh, of Matthew 6.10, but I'll read uh, the, the whole prayer, uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For this is the word of God. Would you please be seated? And let's pray one more time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Christ, you are our Father. We thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters into your heavenly family. We thank you, Lord, that, that Christ's righteousness has been given to us, that Christ's perfect obedience is credited to the account of those who turn from their sin and put their faith in Him. Lord, I, I pray that you would cause us to be a people who are actively seeking to do your will, actively seeking to obey you in all of life. Lord, Lord seeking to live lives that are, are for the glory of your name. Help us, Lord, to search out your word and to understand what your will for us is in this moral obedience. Lord, I, I pray that as we consider your sovereignty over all things, Lord, your providential will, I, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to submit to it, trusting you. Lord, even in the, in the things we don't understand, even in the things that are hard, help us, Lord, to look to you and to remember that you are indeed our Father and that we do not need, need fear in the sense of a, of a cowering, because, Lord God, you sent your Son to die for our sins. And we know that you love us because of Christ. Amen. This morning we're looking at the third petition of the model prayer, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6, 10b. If you're going to pray for God's will to be done, you'd better know what God's will is. What did Jesus mean when he taught us to pray, your will be done. Several years ago, when I was living in Australia, a friend recommended that I read the book, Decision Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen. And from the way my friend described the book, I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in reading it. But a short time after that, my mentor challenged me that God wanted more of my life. He challenged me to consider pursuing vocational ministry. It was, it was a hard decision because I, I loved my job. I loved what I was doing as a teacher. And I, I loved my lifestyle. I had, I had a lot of holidays and, and I, had a, I, had, um, I lived ten, a 10 minute walk from the beach. I could go surfing before work in the morning. It was, it was, it was pretty good. But it wasn't as though my, my life was absent from, from spiritual involvement. I was, was quite involved in ministry. I was serving at that time as a lay elder in my church, and I was involved in, in missions. And so I thought, well, I'm already serving God, but, but he challenged me to consider 
whether I was using the gifts that God had given me really for the glory of, of His name. So I wasn't sure what to do. The question was, what was God's will for my life? What was God's will in this, in this moment, in this big decision? Well, in the past, I'd used all sorts of wrong methods to try to determine God's will for my life. I, I looked for signs. I used as this used the scriptures as a horoscope and, and pulling verses out that, that I thought fit my, my circumstance in, in a broad way and tried to apply them. I looked for a, a sense of peace. But none of those are really biblical methods to seek to determine God's will. And I remember the book that my friend had recommended. So I borrowed it from the church library and began to read it. And the author essentially said that that. When it comes to making decision, a decision, the first thing you need to do is to examine God's Word and seek to determine how, how your decision lines up according to God's moral will. Then you need to pray for wisdom, seeking that, that God's will would be done in, in our lives. And then we need to seek counsel, asking godly people their thought on whatever issue it is that we're trying to decide on. And having done that, he said, we just... Make a decision and trust that in God's providence, God's will will be done. It was so freeing. It was so freeing. I was, was, was released from, from the, the conundrum of trying, to, to, trying to, to discern things that are really not my responsibility to try to discern. These, these are under the, the secret providence of, of God's will. And I was, I was excited, so I went to my friend in, in order to, to thank him for recommending the book. And I summarized it for him. Examine the Bible for God's moral will. Pray. Seek wise counsel. Make a decision. And my friend told me, that's not what the book is about. And I said, that's exactly what the book is about. My, my friend denied God's sovereignty over all things, so he really failed to understand the meaning of this book and, and to understand what it really means for us as Christians to be seeking God's will. If you're interested in, in borrowing that book, I would be happy to lend it to you. It's, it's pretty fat, um, but you can also, there's, in our church library, we have a, a much smaller book that makes the same point. It's called Found God's Will by John MacArthur. Well, as I stand here and preach this sermon, I, I guess it's pretty clear what my decision was. But far more importantly, it's pretty clear what God's will was. I, at the end of the school year, I, I resigned from my job and, and packed up my belongings and, and moved back to Canada to pursue seminary. I, I hope you can see from this story, though, that there are at least two aspects to God's will. His moral will or his preceptive will, according to God's precepts of his, or His commands, and God's providential will, the fact that God is, is sovereign over all things and is governing this planet according to His sovereign, wise, holy plan. The Puritans referred to these two aspects of God's will as His revealed will and His secret will. The distinction is drawn from Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to our, the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
So God's providential will is referred to God's secret will because, because although we can see from God's word that he is sovereign over all things, we cannot know the intricacies of his plans or often what he's going to do until he does them. So it's, it's viewed as God's secret will. But God's moral will, or his preceptive will, on the other hand, is very clearly revealed in God's word. We can see from, from God's word what he wants his people to do in obedience to him. And that the children were able to identify quite a few of those, and I trust that's because, because they're, they're hearing these things at church and because they're hearing you talk about these things at home. But there's also a third category that I'm going to refer to as God's characteristic will. And it's based on, his, on God's inclinations according to his attributes, but they're experienced very differently depending on whether one is a Christian or a non-Christian. This is also revealed to us throughout Scripture, but we cannot know precisely what God is going to do in, according, to his, according to his characteristic will. So when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to consider these three aspects of God's will. His providential will, his preceptive will, and his characteristic will. This petition really continues the, the overarching theme that we've been looking at so far. It lines up very clearly with the first two petitions. They're really all different facets of the same prayer. Focus being on the, the glory of God and on His heavenly rule. Puritan Thomas Boston des describes the link. He says, As by the coming of His kingdom, His name is hallowed, so by doing His will, His kingdom comes or is advanced, and we own Him to be king. James Boyce says similarly, In this peti petition, much like the previous one, the disciple asks that he and others might live according to to so might live in growing obedience to God's declared desires as they are found in Scripture, and that the day may quickly come when sin will be judged and the whole universe be willingly subject to God's will, even as believers desire to be subject now. Romans 12, 2. So the focus then when we're praying for God's will to be done is, is in submission and obedience to God's will. Is also seen in the answer to question 110 of the Baptist Catechism. What do we pray for in the third petition? In the third petition, which is that will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to, to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. This is what God is calling us all to do. To know obey and submit to his will in all things like the angels do in heaven. So let's then examine each of these three aspects of God's will. I'm going to spend uh, a little bit of time on God's providential will, really the majority of, of our time on God's preceptive will, and then I'll finish with, with a more brief discussion of God's characteristic will. <clears throat> so when it comes to God's providential will, Thomas Watson describes this this uh, God's uh, aspect of God's secret will as the will of His decree. So A.W. Pink describes it as His decretive will, that, that God 
does what God is going, says he is going to do in creation and in our lives. Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in all seas and all deeps. This includes, again, God's providential guidance and governance over all of creation. And so in this, in the sovereign rule, see, Spurgeon marveled, I cannot comprehend it. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rose bush is as much fixed as the march of a devastating pestilence. The fall of sear leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. Nothing is too small and nothing is too great to escape God's sovereign rule. His providential rule includes the ordering of, of events also in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Thomas Watson says the secret will cannot be known. It is locked up in God's own breast. Neither man nor angel has a key to open it. So we, we may not know the specifics of what God is going to do on an individual level, in individual lives, but what, and we may not know specifically what he is going to do, but we can trust him because of his character. Soon after the, the 2004 tsunami on Boxing Day, they killed upwards of 280,000 people in 14 countries. I remember watching an interview with the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney on public television. And I really felt for the man because he was being grilled by this interviewer. But he said when he, when he was pressed, the Archbishop said, well, I don't believe that God is sovereign or in control of things like tsunamis. He said that God is not in control of things like tsunamis. I thought, which is scarier? To think that God is, is in control of things like tsunamis or to think that God is not in control. That, that somehow something slipped under his radar and, and he wasn't able to do anything about it. What does the scripture say? Are such things God's will? Well, again, Psalm 135, verses 5 to 7. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from its storehouses. God is in control of all things. Even tsunamis. Even tsunamis. And so we have to acknowledge that, that at least in the sense of his providential will, that these things are his will. Now, he is going to bring an end to all of these things at the return of Christ. When, when Christ's kingly rule is established fully and finally. But until that time, we have to acknowledge and submit to the fact that God's word teaches that God is sovereign even over things that are hard, even over things that are painful. 
cannot understand why he does some of the things that he does, but he is sovereign and you can trust him. Turn, please, if you will, in your Bible to, to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Notice first that in Job 1.8, God describes Job as, he says there's none like him in the earth, a man who is blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. This is God's verdict on Job. But then track with me with what happens. First in verse 12, the Lord says to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. So God actually gives license to Satan to attack Job. Then look, and then look what happens in verses 13 and following. In one day, messenger after messenger comes and, and declares the, 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 the horrific events that have happened to, to Job's possessions and to Job's family. First, we, have a, we hear of a, of a raid made by the Sabaeans, and they, they killed Job's servants and made off with his oxen and his donkeys. And then Job learns that, that the fire of God killed, killed more servants than Job's sheep. And then the, the raid of Chaldeans killed yet more servants and killed and took his camels. But then finally came the worst news of all. A great wind rose up and destroyed the house that Job's children were in, and they were all killed. In one day, all of these things happened to Job. He lost his animals, his servants, and his children. How does Job respond? He doesn't blame Satan. He doesn't blame the Sabaeans. He doesn't blame the Chaldeans. He does not blame the elements. He worshipped. Look at verse 20 and 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you see that? Job is submitting to God's will. He, he doesn't attribute these things to secondary causes, but to the primary cause. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Thomas Watson explains that, that, God, that Job eyed God in all that befell him. He said, the Lord has taken away in verse 21. He looked beyond second causes. He sees God in the affliction. And he says there can be no submission to God's will until there can be an acknowledging of God's hand. So God's will for you is to submit to his providential will. And so one of the first things that you, that you need to pray when you pray, God, may your will be done, is to pray, God, would you help me to submit to your will? Would you help me to trust you? in the midst of this trial, whatever it is. But now you need to be careful as well because as somebody you know is, a, is, a, is facing a severe trial, do not be like Job's counselor. They drew their conclusions from half-truths. God can and certainly does send calamity to punish for sin. But Job's so-called friends condemned him not knowing the facts. Remember, it, remember the Lord's assessment of Job. 
that the Job was upright and blameless. But you also need to be careful not to condemn yourself in the face of trials either. Yes, prayerfully examine your heart to see if there's any, any sin that you need to repent of. And ask God to reveal to you anything that, that you need to know. But then trust God's sanctifying work in your life. And, you know, people here often quote that, that God is the, is the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's true. In the sense that we, we talk about that when it comes to the assurance of salvation and, and that, that we are being preserved by God. But, but part of, of God being the perfecter of your faith means that, that God is going to work to sanctify you. To make you more like His Son if you are in His Son. So you can't know all of what God is doing. Such things belong to the secret counsel of His will. But instead, you need to focus on what you do know in the midst of trials. Focus on what you do know so that you can increasingly submit to God's revealed will, to His preceptive will, to His commands. So what do you know? Well, you do know that according to God's providential will, that He is working all things together for good, for, for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And you do know that He has predestined those very same people to be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 28, and 29. You do know that it is God's will to sanctify you, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You do know that it is God's will that you are thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You do know that, that it is God's will that you trust Him. First, uh, Philippians 6a Do not be anxious about anything. You do know that it is God's will that, that you pray to Him. Philippians 4, 6b, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. You do know that it is God's will that you submit to Him. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. You do know that it is God's will that you glorify Him in all of life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, so then how do you pray that, that you would, would obey and submit to God's providential will, and that you would, in so doing, obey His, His moral will, especially in the midst of trials. Pray that God will sanctify you through it. Pray that, you will, that God will help you to give thanks through it. Pray that God will help you to trust Him in it. Pray that God will help you to pray for it. Pray that God will help you to submit to Him under it, and pray that God will help you to glorify Him by it. So when you pray that God's will be done, you're asking God to help you to do what you would not and could not otherwise do. That you'd be sanctified, that you would give thanks, that you would trust Him, that you would pray, that you would submit, and that you would glorify Him. You can know these things because these things are very clear right there in your word. So you, you don't need to wring your hands wondering what God is going to do and, and what you need to do because you know what to do. God has given you his word to show you what to do. He's given you his Holy Spirit to, to help you, to obey. If you are in Christ, 
then he has, has changed your affections. He's changed your desires. You know, we know, brothers and sisters, we know what it's like to live for our own will. We know what it's like to live in, in rebellion against God. But so many of us here have, have had our wills changed. Our wills transformed so that, that we've begun to, to desire to do God's will. And you know, I see that in, in many of you here. I, I see those increased desires. I see, I see people who are, are trying to, to flee from immorality. I see people seeking to submit to God in those big decisions of life. I see that people are, are trying to, to grow in those areas where, where God, in, the, in the, the conviction of His Holy Spirit, has, has put his, his finger on, on them. And I, I see people here, here desiring to, to obey and to, not, to, not just to hear God's Word, but to obey it. To be not just a hearer of the Word, but also a doer of the Word. I see people here growing in, in these very things. So we, we can thank God that He has changed our wills and that He's continuing to change our wills. We need to pray that God would continue to change our wills, that we would increasingly submit to Him and increasingly obey Him. So when you pray that, that God's will be done, you're really not asking that God's will be changed. You're asking that your will will be conformed to His will. That, that through submission to God in the circumstances of life, that, that you and those around you will see that God is holy and loving and sovereign and wise. That's what it means to, to pray for your will to be done. Well, I would imagine that some of you are probably thinking here now, well, if we cannot nor should not seek to change God's will, God's will when we pray, why do we pray? But if you, if you had that thought, maybe you're, you're wondering that even at the moment. Why pray? If, if we don't want God's will to be changed, why pray? Why to go to God at, at all and, and ask Him to answer our prayers? Because God has decreed that He would act in response to the prayers of His people. Because part of God's will is that you pray. James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The people of God pray and things happen. Now there's, a, there's an apparent paradox here, isn't there? There's an apparent paradox in, that, that really when we think about these, these paradoxes in, in Scripture, they, they should really serve to humble us before the almighty and omniscient God. John MacArthur here describes it well. He says, on the one hand, prayer is seen as a way of, of simply lining up with God and, and regarding, regarding what he has done, as, sorry, what he is already determined to do. But on the other hand, it is beseeching God to do what he would not otherwise do. You see that there, there's both sides in it. So, so in prayer, we're, we're asking we're realizing that, that God is already determined to, is already going to do what He's determined to do, but He's also decreed that we pray and, and then ask God to act. Again, this is a paradox. But Scripture supports both of these views and, and holds them, MacArthur says, as it, were, as it were, intention. Intention. 
But the Bible is very clear. God is sovereign. And that God has called us to pray. I heard an illustration that, that, uh, that um, if you're in a boat and you, you throw a boat hook to the shore, and when you start pulling, you, you're not pulling God's will to yours. You're pulling your will to God's. The shore doesn't move towards the boat. The boat moves towards the shore. And this is, this is the, one of the, the biggest things that happen when we, happens when we pray, that, that our will is submitted to God. But, but the other side of the truth is, as C.H. Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And we're going to talk about that next week, that, that God has... He's taught us, Jesus is teaching us here in this passage, to pray that, that God will provide our daily bread and forgive us and protect us. This is, again, we see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in tension, but they're both true. So I hope you, you get a sense here that, that, that God is omnipotent, but that he has also given us the privilege of prayer. He has foreordained everything that will happen in all of creation, but he's also decreed that in his omnipotence, he would act in response to our prayers. Yet, yet he has also commanded and foreordained that we pray. And I think evangelism here would provide for you a helpful, helpful parallel. God has already decreed every single person who would come to salvation. Right? We understand that. This is election. But God has also decreed that he would save souls through the proclamation of the gospel. So, so God has, has commanded and foreordained that we preach the gospel, and he has also commanded and foreordained that the elect would repent. Again, this is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Scripture teaches both, so we believe both. When we think about, about this, this understanding then of, of what it means to pray that, that God's will be done, this is, yes, there's a sense in which we're, we're praying regarding God's providential will, but, but it also this is about God's, God's moral will, God's preceptive will, and it's, it's not just for, for submission, uh, for passive submission to his commands, but it's also for active obedience. That is part of God's revealed will, it's part of his moral will. This is also not just a prayer for you privately. Remember the, the pronouns of this. This is, this is a prayer for the, the church. This is the, all these pronouns are, are our Father. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. This is corporate. You're, you're praying not just for you. You're praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're also praying more broadly that, that these things would, would happen not just in this local church, but in, in all churches and, and all across the world. Remember, we're, we're praying that God's will be done on earth. That's pretty global. On earth as it is in heaven. And yes, we understand that, that this will not happen in its fullness until the return of Christ. But in seeking his will, we're seeking for, for these things to advance in our hearts and the hearts of all people. 
This is, this is a prayer that will help us, yes, to submit in trials, but it's also a prayer that you and those around you will obey His commands. Here we pray, as J.C. Rowell says, that God's laws may be obeyed by men as perfectly, readily, and unceasingly as they are by angels in heaven. So we're praying for obedience to God's laws. Again from J.C. Ryle. We ask that those who now obey not his laws may be taught to obey them, that those who do obey them may obey them better. And from Thomas Boston, in heaven all do it, in hell none do it, in earth some do it, others not, and those who do do it, do it imperfectly. So we pray, thy will be done. This is really a prayer for all of life, that we will study God's word so that we will know his will and in the power of his Holy Spirit that we will obey his will in all things. So in order to, to understand God's moral will, you have to go to his word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word lights our path. It, it helps us to know what God would have us do in all things. Do you understand the privilege? The privilege that you have of having access to God's Word. And in, in knowing God's Word. To, to understand that, that in Christ, that we have been given, that the blessing that God has been given to Israel from Psalm 147, 19 and 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. It is a blessing to have God's word and God's will revealed to you in his word. When, when talking of God's law, Spurgeon said that the, the law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. So the, the law is not the road, so the law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. Do you understand what Spurgeon is saying here? He's referring to Calvin's third use of the law. The, that the law is a road that guides us to, to know and to obey God's will. That God's law helps us to understand his will. But it's not any longer, if you're in Christ, that God's law is not the rod that drives us because you've been saved by grace alone and, and so you've been given the righteousness of Christ and so you, you don't need the, the law in the sense to, to bring you to Christ because you're already in Christ. And nor is the, the law the spirit that actuates us because it is the work of the Holy Spirit to, to change our hearts so that we desire to obey. God's law has been given to us as a means of grace to help us to know and, and see what God wants us to do. So in everything, from our prayers to all of life, we pray, your will be done. Now, earlier I referred to, to the prosperity gospel. And, and there's some adherence to it that, that, that say that we should never pray the qualifier if, your will, if it's according to your will. They say that we should never pray if it be your will because, because they're saying it's really a lack of faith. But this is a direct contradiction of the clear teaching of Scripture. 
John 5, 13 and 14 shows us the two grounds of our confidence in prayer. That one, we are praying as Christians, and two, that we are praying according to God's will. Let me read it for you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And again, I, I, I'm seeing these things growing in, in this church. I'm seeing people who are, are growing in submission to, to God's precepts, to God's commands. As a, as a pastor, this, this thrills my heart to see people growing and changing. You know, I'm, I'm excited that there is new people coming to the church. This is, this is a great blessing from the Lord. But I believe it's, it's even more important that the, the people who, who are here are, are showing growth. And we're, we're seeing that with so many here. But we need to realize that, that none of us really obeys God's will perfectly. None of us prays, none of us obeys God's will perfectly. That's why we have to pray, your will be done. We pray that God would help us to do what we would not otherwise do. You can have confidence. You can have confidence 